Welcome to episode 132. Today, Dr. Mandy Stewart and Holly Genova talk about adapting the reading and writing workshop model for MLs in grades 6 to 12. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. Many of us are familiar with the reading and writing workshop model and rave about how it can develop language and literacy skills for elementary age students. How can we make this model age appropriate for middle and high school students? In this episode, Dr. Stewart and Holly talk about the structures and components of the reading writing model and much more. You'll be inspired by this engaging conversation for sure. Now, on to today's podcast. I'm excited and honored to introduce to you today Dr. Mandy Stewart and Holly Genova. They've both written in a book called, But Does This Work for English Learners? A Guide for English Language Arts Teachers, Grades 6 to 12. And you had me at the title, But Does This Work? for English learners. So what a great title, and it's an honor to have both of you on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to be here. At the start of the book, both of you shared a story that has impacted your practice. Would you each tell us the, those stories? Yeah, so for me, I have um, been in education for many years now, and I find myself being a language educator, you know, first being an ESL teacher, and I fell in love with students who were acquiring English and new to the United States when I was, you know, just out of college. But at the same time, I'm a literacy educator, and Holly and I have both been involved in the writing project. So sometimes I think, am I a language educator? educator using literacy strategies or am I a literacy educator focusing on language acquisition and bilingualism and I'm both and that is how this book came about because we think there are so many great things we can use from readers and writers workshop what we know are great ways to teach the language arts and literacy that we can adapt and modify for our multilingual students. Yeah, so my story is similar to Mandy's. Um, as she mentioned, we both um, have participated with National Writing Project, and um, that really grounded my theory and in pedagogy. And I was blessed to work for a fantastic principal that was my first principal, who saw something in me and said, Holly, you are a newcomer teacher. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean I'm a newcomer teacher? And he said, yes, you are. <laughs> and so he really pushed me into um, getting my certific certification to teach ESL. And that's kind of where my journey began. And then 
Mandy and I had heard about each other from different groups and different pops of people. They're like, oh, you should work. Have you heard of Mandy? Have you read her work? Have you seen Mandy's work? And I had heard and heard and heard. And then we finally met, <laughs> not in Texas, where we're both from, like 30 minutes apart, but in Minneapolis, like years later. Yes. So, and once we worked together and uh, we met at a dinner, and I was like, hey, could you just come and brainstorm with me? Because, you know, usually you're the one teacher on your campus, the one ESL teacher, right? And she's like, of course. So that's kind of how we met and how we um, first started working together. And, you know, stories are what ground us as people. Like our minds are completely made for stories. And so for me, you know, my students' stories and what I learned about them through writing, through reading about their cultures with them, through the talking and through sharing and gaining this language knowledge, I learned their life stories and it just motivated me to be a better teacher and to want to learn more about them. And I wrote that their lives and their experience, they're more of a blessing to me and I've learned more from them and what they've experienced um, than I could have ever done in any other program or any other teaching position. It's the best thing. Why do you think yeah. it's the best thing for both of you? Um, I think for both of us that our relationships with these young people from other countries has just so changed our own perspective of the world and not only who we are as educators, but our personal lives. Um, both of us are, are mamas. And I think the way we mother, the way we interact with other people, with our families um, is profoundly changed because this group of young people has just had a, such a huge impact in our lives and who we are as human beings. I agree. Um, you know, their, their stories have just, they've impacted my life so much. My daughter, even my father, our book is dedicated. It's to my dad. Like he takes an interest in my students' lives and it's just, you know, you, I think you gain a lot of empathy and become, um, a person who appreciates so much when you work with the students that we work with. Yeah. Yeah. As a Buddhist, we always say we practice on the mat so we can practice in real life or yoga. Right. And it, I feel like I'm a better teacher. I'm a better human being. I'm a better brother. I'm a better son and a better friend and a better partner because of my work with my students. Right. Because I, I feel like I'm the uh, best, the ton 2.0 when I'm with my kids. And then I somehow try to make sure that I can take what I give my kids and try to be that best person when I'm not with my students. It's yeah, our, our, our lives have really been changed. Would you, uh, it's, it's funny that um, Holly, you talked about how you feel like you were the one language specialist on your campus. And, and this podcast is for those teachers who feel like there, there's no funding. There's not a lot of support. They're the only ones in their building or their campus or, and they just need someone to, to, to affirm their work and to show them that they're not crazy. And I think when you said that, I was like, yes, this is exactly why we do this podcast. It's, that's one of the things that we talked about when we wrote this book was that we wanted um, teachers to feel affirmed as they read it and to also learn something new. And if, if that happens, then like, wow, we've, we've hit the goal. 
but um, yeah, just to feel affirmed because it is, you are usually the one person. Yeah. So let's talk about the book then. What was the seed for this book? So one thing that Holly and I realized as we look at uh, professional development for secondary or, you know, really any teachers of students who are acquiring English, it's usually very focused on younger children. And they're very cute. They make a great cover of, of the book and that's wonderful. But we know that our students who are, you know, middle grades uh, through high school adolescents, that their learning needs and their possibilities, even of what we can do in the classroom is different. So we wanted something that really looked at literacy and language together and for that specific population knowing that we are carving ourselves into a, a niche, but we think those students are worthy of our attention, that we shouldn't just put them in the secondary English language arts area or put them in the elementary bilingual ESL area, um, that they deserve our focus. So that was the seed for the book. Good, Holly. There's, oh, yeah, there was also, um, as I was attending like different conferences and we would see all these you know, great people that were doing um, conferences about with workshop and re reading and writing workshop pedagogy. And I would go to them and I would sit there and be like, well, but does this work with my language learning? So that's really where this title came from is that I would sit in these conferences and I would think, but okay, so how am I going to do this? How am I going to tweak? Okay, I like this idea, but I'm going to have to add this, this, and this to make it work. And so um, I would sit and I would go to them and I helped plan a couple of different conferences in the North Texas area. And I talked to some different um, authors and speakers. And I'm like, but do you think it would work? Do you think it would work in an ESL classroom? And they would be like, well, I don't know. And I was like, I think it will, I think. And so I just kind of started experimenting with stuff. And um, it, because I had this theory base from being a part of writing projects, um, but I didn't, I was trying to mesh these two ideas of like language acquisition and literacy and content. And like, that was really the sweet spot when I was able to figure out like I could mesh these two, I could mesh them together. And that's when I got the sweet spot of instruction. Because just looking at your subtitle and your, your table of contents, it's about the reading writing workshop and when I think about reading writing workshop I think about uh, primarily elementary school and when I saw your table of contents I was like oh great this is a reading writing workshop book for secondary students who are multilingual I'm like yes this is wonderful let's look at chapter one can you tell us about seeing beyond the label yeah, um, Holly and I both have been labeled different things and probably just about every human being has bef before. And we know we don't like it when people view us through a narrow perspective that sometimes labels are useful for certain purposes, but we need to see beyond that. So we know that our students might be labeled English learners. They might be labeled limited English proficient, which is horrible to focus that way. Um, even when we use more positive labels like emergent bilinguals or multilinguals, um, we know that there's always much more to the student that's there. And we want to use story to know the student and especially to see all of their strengths because we know every single student we teach is multilingual, that they are transnational, that they are global citizens 
humans who make meaning using multiple modes of communication while going across different languages. So we think that a label doesn't entail um, all of that our students really are. Yeah, I agree with everything Mandy said. And just to add to that, um, you know, when we see beyond our students' labels, we're able to turn assumptions from a label, right? We're able to turn that assumption into questions about that person and questions about what they, who they are as a person, which allows you to know their story and to better be their teacher, right? So I think that's the biggest thing for me is, you know, I too have had, as many said, like been labeled things, but if you take away that assumption of that label and you get to know me and you have those questions, then you know like where that came from and who I am as a person more than just the label. So we go beyond the labels to know the person individually through their stories. How do you get to learn about students' stories? I think that's where Readers and Writers Workshop comes in because literacy is how we can know others and then make ourselves known. So it's through reading and responding to those texts. Like, oh my goodness, some of the moments Holly and I have had when students have responded to a text, I mean, we will never forget those in our lives. So students, they'll say something that is, you know, we just have no idea the connection that they would have. And then as they begin writing or composing, maybe digitally and expressing themselves and they can really share their stories as inspired from the reading they've had. So it is all based in a readers and writers workshop as we use literacy as our tool to get to know each other as a class. So literacy, not just as instruction, but literacy as relationship building. Exactly. It's how human beings send and receive meaning and develop relationships with one another. And it's through those stories that we build a community and we build a community for our students to belong to because um, most of my students are from different parts of the world, right? Um, some will be from the same country, but maybe, maybe the same city, but few know each other in the same class. And they've left their community behind. And so it's so important to establish a new community, a new sense of belonging, um, so, so that you can learn, <laughs> so that you feel like you have a place that you belong. And, I, and it happens as, you know, as Manny said, like through literacy and through those relationships that we're building. Yeah, I think it's stories help uh, us dissolve those limited labels that we talked about, right? So to help students see beyond their own labels that uh, they've been given and then to, and for them to create a new narrative of, for them to tell a new story of who they are with their stories. Let's go to chapter two. Can you tell us about teaching multilinguals through reading writing workshop? Sorry, the reading model first, the reading workshop model. So in a reader's workshop, uh, students have access to a lot of literature that the teacher, of course, has curated and brought there, but where students have a lot of choice. Within that, though, there can be multiple read-alouds, and Holly and I love using picture books with middle school students, with high school students, with adults. Um, we think there's such great um, read-aloud material out there with picture books that they talk about mature themes, and we mentioned a lot of our favorite titles in there. So you can use read aloud 
clouds to um, teach a mini lesson or as a mentor text for future writing. Of course, shared reading where the student can both see the print and hear the teacher read fluently. We think that's so important. And you, whenever possible, we like to give students the ability to have their own text in front of them, or at least to be able to see it through a projector or a digital camera. Then of course, guided reading, where we might have them read a small passage and guide them to look for something specific like describing words, or maybe a certain way the author is using their voice. And the most important perhaps is independent reading. We want students to fall in love with reading and we want to provide many opportunities for them to read independently, hoping that they'll continue to do it even when we're not asking them to because they are so into that book. And Holly has used um, digital uh, reading and also audiobooks in many different ways. Do you want to mention that, Holly? Yes, um, my students love to read digitally. Um, I think there's a lot of um, different programs that you can access. One of my favorite is Epic. Like, I'm not, they don't pay me to endorse it, but it's a fantastic program. Like, I love it. It's a free app for teachers, and there's so many books in it. Um, I feel like for some of my students that are in high school and they're newcomers, they, they are like, no baby books and no old lady books. <laughs> is one of my students told me <laughs> he's no baby and no old lady and so like the digital platform of being able to read like no one else sees the size of their book right they don't see that it's a small like it's a little book or they don't see that it's an old lady book so they really have enjoyed reading digitally um and there's also like within that and it depends on what you're using and I said I love epic but there's what you can touch the word and they can hear the word pronounced. And so if they're struggling, they understand it, which is how I am with my own second language is I understand, I'm able to read at a higher label than I'm able to pronounce words. And so for some students, they're able to read and they really understand it, but they might not be able to pronounce some of those words. And so it helps, it gives them that ability to hear it when I am not able to read with each person at that point in time. Um, Holly and I also curate all of this literature for Readers Workshop within a theme. So we have fun getting together and thinking about, you know, what's the theme for either a month. We recently worked on it for nine week units. So a nine week theme and finding literature that covers many different genres, many different proficiency levels, um, some wordless uh, type of text, as well as text that represent all students' languages in the classroom, even if those are languages that we don't speak. We want to make sure that the students know that their language is valued in the text set that we've created. So we do all of that within a theme. So within the unit, students are seeing this vocabulary recycled through from maybe what they were reading with a small group versus independent or a read aloud. Yeah, when I discovered theme-based instruction that changed in my third year of practice, that changed my, my teaching because then it was like, we're going to read this today, then we're going to do that, and we're going to do this, and none of them were connected. But when I when it was focused on the theme, the kids understood there was a, everything connected together. They were like puzzle pieces that all connected together. Let's talk about um, read out louds. How do you honor the no... Uh, no baby books and no old lady books 
while still starting with read out louds with picture books? So I actually talk to my students and share with them. Like, yes, this is a picture book, right? And I'll hold it. This is a picture book. But what is the theme of this book? What is it, right? And so um, the theme might be immigration. Well, that's a topic that adults talk about, right? And so um, I talk to them like, this is just a way for us to all talk about something in a non-threatening way. Right. So we can step into these different topics that are, you know, complex without it being threatening. And so I I actually that's almost verbatim what I say with some to some of my students. So they feel like, hey, no, like this is. And then sometimes I will show them if I take out all the pictures and just have the words, this is a text that you would read like in a a two or three page text that you would read in a magazine or a two or three page text that you read in um, a regular English one class. And so just to show them that, that, that there's nothing, that it's an approachable text, it makes it more approachable and safe to talk about complex ideas. With visuals that are often so artistic, I'm not um, very knowledgeable about art, but I do appreciate the illustrators and the work they do that bring the text to life in a way I might not have ever thought of. So when I work with my students, there are there are read out louds as well. Uh, but the things that I read out loud as the most are graphic novels because there are the visuals are there, um, the the mature issues are there. But then they are, they're not as kitty as like the children's book, uh, but, the, but the text is there, but the visuals there to support kids. And so they, I have found a middle ground that way. But I think, and I know that children's books, if we, if we contextualize it this way, like just like how they did, kids are like, oh, okay, this is, we're learning about a theme, and this is one resource in which we're learning about the theme. Can you talk about a guided reading? How do you structure that? So with guided reading, what I've done in small groups of students who are acquiring English is we all have a, a book in front of us. Let's say it's a, an adolescent novel that we're reading and I might tell them, OK, read these two pages independently, but I want you to notice this and this. Some students might also need me to write it down so they have a guide with them, um, particularly if they're beginners or maybe even intermediate so they can see <laughs> what they're looking for and hear me say it. Um, but what is interesting is when I've done this with students and they'll go through and they might complete the, the activi activity successfully and you know notice what I had them notice, maybe even write it down and discuss with the partner. They always want me to go back and read it again. They're like, no miss, you go back back and read it because I think that um, there's just really a, a sweet spot of hearing and seeing the print that really helps them acquire the language. So we still end up going back through it with shared reading, but it, it's that gradual release of getting them to do a little bit more independent reading. Let's talk about uh, my favorite part, and it seems like your favorite part too, independent reading. How do you structure independent reading for uh, grades nine to 12, six to 12th graders? Um, so I think it's important that it's choice within parameters, right? And so um, we want our students to choose what they're reading, 
right? And we want to have lots of options for them to choose what they're reading. And so there's going to be options in your first language for you to read because we want to continue to build our students like first language literacy skills. And then there's going to be different um, types of books in English that you can choose from. And that might be if we're teaching within a theme, there might be books that I want you to read to choose from within that theme to continue to build your own background knowledge, right? So that you are doing that as we're also reading within that theme. It might be just full choice and um, what you want you to read. Or I might be guiding you if it's in those parameters, like, hey, um, we, I want you to try fiction or I want you to try nonfiction because as a reader myself, I didn't know until I was an adult that I love to read literary nonfiction. Like that's my favorite thing to read. And I didn't really know that until I was an adult. And so we want our students, like we want to try to guide them in these parameters of trying different things so they can find their own sweet spot for becoming a reader, not just um, someone who's reading during English class or reading to learn another language. We want them to become readers and thinkers within this as well. And we want them to take the books home. So it's so important to us that students have books in their backpack. I worked with one school district and we had the book and backpack campaign that you couldn't leave for the weekend until you had two books you selected in your backpack. Um, knowing that not all students are going to read, but we know they definitely won't read if they don't have books with them. So we don't worry so much about keeping the books in pristine condition and having a very difficult checkout system that the most important thing to us is that students become readers and they read. If we get damaged books or lose a few books in the process, then we just assume that it's, it's all for the best. Well, let's move to the second half of your book, which is about writing writing workshop. Would you talk to us about how you structure that? Through a lot of modeling. <laughs> lots and lots and lots of modeling, right? Um, so I think that's one of the premises of like National Writing Project is, is, um, is, is modeling. You're modeling your writing. You're not just assigning writing. Like writing is never just like, hey, go and do this, which I did as a first year teacher. So I can say that that was a I kept on wanting writing to get better. So I would just assign more and it never got better. And I didn't know why. <laughs> and so um, there's a lot, every, um, everything, every writing assignment that my students did, I did myself, right? And I would model it with them. Even if it was just them doing a reading response. I would model that as well with my own reading. Or if we were reading the news, like I would try and read the news. I had one student that challenged me to read and read the news in Spanish. Yes. <laughs> and so I would read the news in Spanish and I would show them my response and I would try to write it and they would correct my mistakes. And then, so it was just like this community of learning, right? Um, but everything is modeled. And, and there's a lot of, sentence frames, sentence starters, paragraph frames um, that are used. And, you know, as a, I think as a literacy teacher and a language teacher, both, um, you have to know where your students are going to struggle, right? And so um, if you write it yourself and you're modeling that, that text that you write can serve as a mentor text for your students, 
right? That can be a text that they're reading, that they're learning from. Um, but you also see the parts that are going to be tricky, that it's going to be a part where, hey, I need to I need to explain this in a different way. This is something I really need to pay attention because I struggled with it. This is a part where I needed to make a connection. And so you're able, um, it allows you to think those steps through so that you are able to help your students more to see like, oh, okay, that's, that's the kind of question that I was thinking in my head to get this down. So the modeling process and that thinking aloud process is crucial to doing writer's workshop with um, language learners. And then I think when you have an interesting theme and students are engaged in the theme and they're writing something that they want to write, then they'll be engaged and they take ownership of it more. So it's always finding writing that will connect to students' lives. It'll be something that they feel is authentic and that hopefully someone besides the teacher will read or view. So if you can create more authentic opportunities for them, whether it's to publish it online, to show other teachers, put it in the hallway or publish a class book, those are great ways to really showcase your students, their lives and their bilingualism as well. They can write in all of their languages. So in the reader workshop, you have read out loud, guided reading, and independent reading. What are the components of writer's workshop? So with writer's workshop, I think there would be a mini lesson. Um, they would look at a mentor text. You would make sure you have adequate structures, which are those sentence frames, sentence stems, maybe a word wall, those adequate structures for them. And then they have writing time while you are going around and conferencing with different students. Um, this is not all happening during one class period. This will cover multiple class periods, but at some point students can work with partners or in small groups, read each other's writing, help each other and um, go through the revising process as well. But it is a little bit of controlled chaos, which we know scares some teachers, but I always love going to Holly's classroom because even though it might be a little noisy when writer's workshop is going on, there's so much going on with students conferencing with each other, with the teacher, or if I come in, you know, consulting books, if they're writing from research they did about a historical figure, they're looking at their books. If it's something where they get to create something on the internet or digitally as well, they really get into that and they like adding those visuals and the images with it. So it might be a little loud, but if you get in there and you can see that students are involved, I would rather have a loud, engaged class classroom than students just silently sitting there and not doing anything. Right. Sam Bennett from uh, Texas, he said that uh, the person doing the talking is doing the thinking. And so uh, as students are talking to each other and they're loud, I, that shows their thinking. So I'd rather have uh, a loud classroom than a quiet classroom. Absolutely. But then as you realize you're working with students and you might realize, wow, a lot of them are stuck on this component of writing. And it could be something like punctuation or maybe capitalizing the I pronoun in English could be a big thing or a small thing. That's when as a teacher, you can stop and have a mini lesson and then keep going. So as a teacher, you have the freedom to respond to your students' needs. And that might be collectively as a whole class or in small groups. I think the best part about like using writer's, writer's workshop 
um, across the board, like with any class, but especially with our um, language learners, is that it's the difference between like engagement and investment. So when you're using like this workshop model and students are writing about things that they want to write about, things that they want to share, they're, they're invested in their own learning. And so they're going to, of course, acquire more English, which we want them to do. Their work is going to be better. Um, they're going to be invested in your classroom, invested in the community of learners that they're with. So I find that's the hardest part to create an assignment where it's not just for the teachers to read. It's for there's an authentic audience. How do you make that happen? That is a fantastic question. And, you know, it's not all, it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen, right? So sometimes when students are writing about their books, like, yeah, that is for me to read as the teacher, right? They might share it with somebody else in class, but it's, it's specific to like that content area of English. But for um, expository or narrative writing, I try to make sure like it's connected within those themes, right? Teaching within the theme. And if our themes are connected to our students' lived experiences and things that connect to their lives, then they're invested in that writing. And I think at that point, then it becomes something that they're proud of, something that they want to share with others and they want it, others to see it. They want other people to see their writing. They, they're they proud of their own work at that point. And we've just used, you know, the photocopier and very uh, limited technology to publish a class anthologies of uh, students writing, which you can easily do. And you can give them to all the teachers, too, and, and make a big deal about it. Um, you can also go old school and get the poster board or the big sticky paper and have students, you know, print off, you know, this poem, this paragraph, things like that, and put it on the poster with whatever theme it is, whether it's like all about me or, you know, a famous person they read it, have been researching and put those in the hallway. Um, and of course, online, there are opportunities as well. Speaking about writing online, there are several sixth graders who I know that they're co-writing a story on Wattpad. Have you heard about Wattpad? It, it's an online platform where people are submitting stories. It's like a fan, it's like a fan fiction where they're just writing and people are commenting. And, the, and then I asked them about, because I have journals, like once a week they'll, or once every two weeks, they'll write journal entries to me just to say how things are going. And then they shared with me, they're like, oh yeah, we've had a hundred something views. And I was like, oh wow. And so, so they're, they're, you see the writing that they do for me, but then they're, they're writing for themselves. And you see the, 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 the clear difference between the two. Let's move to chapter four. Tell us, can you tell us about the structures for community engagement and, uh, that prop learning for multilingual learners. I'll just say that I think Holly is so great at creating structures for her students who are newcomers um, and are at the beginning stages of acquiring English all the way to students who have more English proficiency. And she is so purposeful to do that in everything that she teaches. So I'll let her take that. Um, so I think it's, maybe it's just me, I have a little bit of a type A personality. And so structure, <laughs> structure makes me feel safe. <laughs> and so when there is controlled chaos in your room, you also need structure. 
And it helps to, so the past couple of years, most of my students have been Spanish speakers. And they're, but there's been years in the past where I've had up to 15 different languages in a room, right? And I have limited understanding of Spanish, but I do not speak Burmese, nor do I speak Chen, <laughs> right? Um, so when you, if you, and if you come with no English to the United States and you experience these things, if you have a structure just to the layout of like what's gonna happen next in your class, you know what to expect. I know that I'm coming in to Mr. Nova's class and I'm going to get a book and I'm gonna have my binder. And the first thing we're gonna do is read every day. That's the expectation. The next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna respond in writing and then we're gonna share it out loud. And then there's gonna be some type of mini lesson that's connected to this theme of ideas that we're doing. And then we're gonna work together. We're gonna have some time that we're all working. So there's this expectation of what's gonna happen. Even if you don't understand everything that's going on, you know what's next, you know what's gonna happen. And so it alleviates some stress of like, what do I expect? What's gonna happen today in class? And so maybe, I don't know, maybe that just comes from my own. <laughs> need for that but it works well it works really well um with students and then there's the structure of like just what you're expecting like with writing like that students know that everybody is going to write and everybody's going to share right there's a structure for read everybody's going to read and everybody's going to share what they're reading and so it's not the ability to just sit passively back in class and and not participate. Like there's always this expectation that you are going to participate. Like we're all doing this. We're all in this community. We're all learning together. And those structures in place, like students know what to expect. Yeah, I think uh, structures are a safe place for teachers, definitely type A teachers like myself as well. Uh, but they also provide a safe place for students because I was talking to another expert about um, students who are going through trauma, they just need routines, right? And because they know that because there's their lives have, there's constant changes in their lives. And so they just need school or a place to be stable for them. And when we provide structures, it helps them like, okay, I know what's going to happen first, second and third. So I'm not on edge. So cognitively, I can invest and stay attuned to what I'm learning. I also think that structures provide clarity for students. And so and clear as kind, like Dr. Brene Brown said. Can we go back to uh, theme? Because you talked about theme in reading and then theme in writing. Are they connected together? Like, how do you integrate? Oh, absolutely. Writing? Yes. Yes. Right. 100%. Yeah. So it's not like there's reading and there's writing. I mean, there might be a reader's workshop time and a writer's workshop time, but often you're reading for information you need for your writing. If you're doing that, you know, kind of research, maybe um, researching something from your country that you're going to share. And you might be researching in multiple languages as well, which we fully encourage. Um, but yeah, definitely the reading will always influence as a mentor text for the writing. And then, of course, as we write, that should influence what we want to read as well. Right. They're all connected. Like they're, I liked how you said that we're reading something and then so that we can write something later. Right? Absolutely. And then we help students understand to read as a writer. 
So sometimes we're looking at certain techniques as a writer. Sometimes we're just reading for pleasure, but then we often want to guide them to read as a writer so they can start developing the author's craft. And I think it's Lester Lamanek that says like what you read for is what you write for. And there's this, like they're parallel to each other. They run in the same. And that really uh, is another technique that I use that has helped me with language learners. Um, so we, when we read, we're identifying main idea, right? When we write, main idea is your thesis. And so they're going in tan tangent together at the same time. And so they work together. And um, so within those themes, as you mentioned, is like you, um, your readings will have a theme that they're going into and all of your, and it would be different genres. So um, maybe poetry, maybe drama, fiction, nonfiction are going to be within this theme. And then those same type of things that you're reading are going to be the types of writing that you want your students to produce. And you will produce them as well. That's one of the mentor texts that your students can read at the same time. Let's move to chapter five, which is about uh, talking about the inquiry cycle for language learners. So as Holly mentioned, we want to engage students and we want them to be invested in any activity or assignment we have for class. We want them to say, to think that it's more than just something they're doing for a grade. So the inquiry cycle, we really think a lot about determining the theme and what might engage students. And then while we're in that, we're, you know, trying out different things. Let's try this poem. Let's try these images, this YouTube video, this read aloud to try and see what students will engage in the most. And then to show them the many different things that they can explore within a given theme. And so when we get to the inquiry cycle, we want them to be excited about what they are learning, where they can choose something individually within our theme. And hopefully we've sparked their interest trying different things. Of course, with some students, it's a bit more difficult, but we like the challenge to find something that will engage them. Um, and then as they go through the inquiry cycle, they do more reading, they do more discussing, they will do writing. So it's using their language and all of their literacy um, just again and again, but hopefully they don't view it as language acquisition or literacy practice. They view it as whatever topic they are investigating that they're very passionate about. Do you want to add anything, Holly? I think whenever you're looking at inquiry cycles for your language learners, just to build upon what Mandy said, is that it has to be topics that are connected to their lives and their lived experiences. And so um, it, it's once again, control chaos. And so it, you're, it's very guided as well. It's not just full on release, um, especially with beginner language learners, right? So it will be, we might all have the same inquiry project where we're all looking at exploring our home countries and we're gonna share that information, right? Um, or it might be we're all looking at the same topic of immigration or we're all looking at the same topic of growth and change. And so we're looking at these different topics together, these different ideas, these different inquiry cycles. Um, and we're, but each person has their own part that they're doing within that. But let me just give an example of how um, Holly has done this really well. If you, you know, just start off and ask adolescent students, okay, 
choose a, a world changer to research and write about in different ways, they'll probably be like, uh, and they might just sit there and you might have to end up just assigning them someone and they wouldn't be excited about it. But if during the reader's workshop, um, you're showing them videos, reading picture books and helping them understand, wow, why we're not in school for Martin Luther King Day, like why that is significant to understand who Rosa Parks is, who Sonia Sotomayor is, who Dolores Huerta, Cesar Chavez, and all of the, these people that we can help them learn about and then have them extend that to find the people they want to investigate, then um, I think they might be, um, at least they seem to be more engaged and they want to do it. So when Holly did the World Changer Unit, I would come to her classroom about I maybe mean, once a week or so before COVID. And I remember one day I walked in and there were these huge pieces of paper on the wall where students had drawn a figure. Like I think Sonia Sotomayor was there, Rosa Parks. Um, and um, I think Harriet Tubman was there. And so they've drawn this beautiful portrait of the person and then they're using English to label it, write sentences and share what they've learned about them, which was their inquiry. And the students were really engaged in that, but I bet they didn't know anything about Harriet Tubman before Holly had started that unit. So I think we as teachers need to do everything we can to try to ignite the flame and then let it go from there. So the inquiry process in that example is um, having students learn about world changers. So that's the theme. And then the inquiry process is we're learning about what that means by looking at all these case studies, all these actual changers. And then the, the, it continues on the inquiry cycle where kids are researching and then they're going to be producing something to, uh, to share what they found about a person who they think is a world changer as well. Absolutely. And there's choice in that. They can choose someone you know, from their country. They can work in a small group or with a, a partner. They can do their research in multiple languages, and then they can present it through different ways that we, we have for them. Holly had a very artistic way at the end of that unit, but students can also, you know, write a poem or an essay and, and do many different things to show their learning. Let's move to the last chapter. Uh, it's all about FAQs. Uh, the teachers often ask you. So can you pick uh, two or one each or it's up to you and talk to us about the questions and the, the answers that you provide? I, the question I chose was, what do you do when you don't have administrator support? I think that's how it's worded. Something like that. It's worded similar, similar to that. Um, and I think we won't always. We won't because usually in my experience, and I think it's a shared experience of other teachers who work with this population as well, is we're on an island by ourselves, right? Within a big school. Um, and so you won't always have the support that you need, but that doesn't mean that you're not still your student's advocate, right? You still have to be the one that's like advocating for them, asking the questions, getting the things that they need, and finding a way around not having all the support that you get. So that might mean that you're looking, you know, for outside resources, that you're looking, um, you know, I was blessed to have Mandy come in and work in my class, so we got a lot of, we got some different things, so you're finding other partnerships. You're, um, 
you know, engaged in the podcasts like this so that you feel affirmed and you feel supported. And so sometimes you, you might not get the support that you need um, from your, on your campus, but there's support out there. And sometimes you just have to seek that and then continue to be your student's advocate. My um, FAQ that I really do get asked the most, and I think it's because I am also in the literacy education world. So I work with ESL teachers and I work a lot with English language arts teachers who all believe in the power of reading. They, I don't have to sell them on independent reading, but they always ask me, Mandy, so what language should my students be reading in for independent reading? And I wish it was just a really simple answer like this language or that, but it's all of them and you want your students to read. So of course we do want them to be engaged in some independent reading for language acquisition because we know students need large quantity of comprehensible input to acquire a language, which in this case for us, it's English, uh, but we want them to read and to be engaged in the theme, to be or engaged in anything. So I think it's so important that we work extra hard to make sure we have literature, whether it's digital or in print or both preferably um, available to our students in all of their languages. So um, Holly and I have a home language survey and reading inventory that um, our publisher has provided free for anyone on their website. And that's just one way you can use to get to know your, your students' languages, their language proficiencies and what they like to read. But I think it's so important that we have books available in all students' languages because it shows them, that we value them, that we thought it was important to have books in their language on our bookshelf. Um, whether or not they get it, but in my experience, they have. Um, I've recently been working with um, some middle school teachers, and as part of the project, we got a, a lot of reading material in Spanish, but also in Arabic for um, seven students that are in the school speak Arabic, not a lot, but that literature, they told me that the students are so excited to have it. They're passing it around and now we need to find more titles. So I um, work a lot with East West Discovery Press. They're great in helping me identify um, literature and languages that I don't speak and, and also um, hard to, to find languages. And of course, online, we have no excuses now. We can find just about everything we want online. And Holly and I list some of our um, hacks to, to find that literature and, and free things that they have available online in, the, in our book. As students are learning another language, it shouldn't be at the expense of their first languages that they're learning. So let's end uh, our podcast with this. It's called Traffic Light Teaching. It's red light, yellow light, and green light. So a red light is something that you ask teachers to stop doing in terms of uh, Reader's Writer's Workshop or literacy. And then yellow light is something that uh, you ask teachers to uh, start doing. And then green is to keep doing. I'll go first, red light, um, popcorn reading. <laughs> that was gonna be mine, Holly, oh my goodness, that's a good one. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can only, um, like, it stressed stresses me out <laughs> and so I cannot imagine it's it stresses me out and so I just think to myself how it would feel to be a language learner and you don't know you're all you're thinking about is when I'm going to be called like who's going to call my name to start reading but also 
so that's one side of it. But then along with that, <clears throat> who's the best reader in the room? That's you. Is we want our students to hear fluent readers. And so we don't want them to hear unfluent readers. We want them to hear fluent readers. And so <clears throat> that's another reason. But oh, red light, stop popcorn reading. <laughs> I echo red light, stop popcorn reading, stop round robin reading. Um, but to have a different one than Holly, my red light will be stop the English only signs and the English only messages because we teach multilingual students who have multiple languages available to them. So let's not put them in a language straight jacket to learn. Let's let them learn and empower them while guiding them in their English acquisition. And I'm going to build on that. Um, and it's okay if you were that person. I was that person my first year. I was that person and I didn't know. And so if I was to go back and talk to Holly 10 years ago and be like, so this is what translanguaging is. And this is how this works. Holly 10 years ago as a teacher would have been like, you get this many points for talking in English in class. Like that was me. So it's okay. And we grow and we learn. And if you're listening to this, you're growing and you're learning as a teacher. Um, and, but grow and learn away from English only and popcorn reading. <laughs> okay, yellow light. Because you are listening to this and because you are a teacher of students acquiring language, thank you for doing what you're doing keep doing it even though it's hard, even though sometimes we hear negative rhetoric about our students, keep being your student's advocate and keep sharing their stories and how amazing they are because I know everybody needs to know um, about the students we teach. So keep doing what you're doing and advocating for your students. Yes, 100%, keep being your student's advocate and um, the person who, they're going to remember the most like they you talk to adult language learners and they ask you when they find out what you do they're like oh my gosh I remember my ESL teacher so you're making such a difference in your students lives every day so keep doing it green light start learning about all your students languages their home languages and their proficiencies in those languages and then have books on your shelves in all of those languages um yes 100 green light have books for your students in all their languages but then also um green light know 10 things about your students and know them um when and it could be as simple as, you know, do you have brothers or sisters? What country are you from? Um, what's your favorite food? Just knowing, do you like soccer? When you know, when somebody feels like you know them, you're better able to teach them and they want to learn from you because they feel valued. So learn things about your students, whether it's something big or small, they will feel valued in your community when you learn things about them. Well, I feel like we have learned a lot. Uh, this podcast has been quite practical and clear, uh, but it has also been quite inspiring. So uh, Dr. Mandy Stewart and Holly Geneva, thank you for giving us the gifts of your book. Thank y'all. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast 
if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things at work and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. I really appreciate how practical this book is for teachers as it provides clear structures for reading and writing. It's identical to the elementary school model, but tweaked and contextualized for older students. I appreciate how Dr. Stewart and Holly talked about how we can use reading and writing models together in a theme and that students read as writers and students write with readers in mind. I also appreciate how they talked about centering reading and writing workshop on students' interests, their lived experiences, and their community languages. In the next episode, we'll visit with Dr. Denise Furlong, who'll talk about celebrating the voices of newcomers. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.